0: This is Momming While Feminist. Feminist. We're here to have authentic, open-minded, hopeful, and maybe even helpful conversation about being a mom in a world where gender inequality and
1: misogyny are everywhere. We want our parenting decisions to reflect our values as feminists, but that's not easy, so we need to talk about it.
2: Welcome.
0: Welcome. I'm Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. I have two sons, ages five and seven, and a daughter age two. And I have two daughters, ages three and six. Hi, everyone. It has been a couple months since we released an episode, and we are excited to be back. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Maisha T. Hill, who is going to talk us through some issues that have come up in our podcast and in our parenting about being white moms trying to raise anti racist kids. So, welcome, Maisha.
2: Hey, everybody. Hey, Lucy.
0: So, Maisha is an anti racism educator, advocate, and entrepreneur. Most recently, she was seen on CNN and NBC for her revolutionary work with her brand, Check Your Privilege. Through courses and community, Maisha is on a journey to change the narrative around white privilege. When not working to change the world we live in, she can be found in Oakland, California, mothering her three beautiful children and supporting social justice through her nonprofit organization, Brown Sisters Speak. So again, thank you, Maisha. We're so excited to have you here today.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah, we are so, we're honored, honestly, that you're willing to do this at all. So uh, you've been very, very busy lately. Um, Oh, yes. So we have a few get to know you questions. And we just start by asking our guests. And so these are kind of just rapid fire, get to know you. And then we'll you know get into the real meat of the conversation soon. So first of all, the fictional character that best represents your parenting style is?
2: Oh, my gosh. I thought I would have it, right? Because I'm like, oh, Claire Huxtable. And I'm like, no, definitely (laughs) not Claire Huxtable. I'm a mix of Claire Huxtable and Marge Simpson. Okay, Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, I do too. Lots of love, lots of nurturing, lots of sarcasm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. When your kids are grown, you will not miss.
2: Oh, when my kids are grown, I will not miss. I would say whining but i'm an adult and i still whine to my mom um so when they are grown i won't miss doing their laundry yes yes absolutely okay the best bedtime stories include oh the best bedtime stories include oh i sound like such an inappropriate mom well with my teenager it's reading that book go to f to sleep so for (laughs) For a teenager that you're trying to humanize adulthood with, it's words that have, you know, F-bombs in them occasionally. Yeah. Um, but for smaller kids, the the best bedtime books have uh, protagonists and antagonists who, you know, are people of color and really share the narrative of, you know, the beauty of Blackness and Black, Black, um, like rescuers and Black heroes.
0: I was just going to ask, how old are your children, Myisha?
2: Um, 15, almost 16, 16. Uh, seven and nine. Okay. Yeah. Cause you yeah. mentioned teenagers and wow. seeing that little's and big. Yeah.
1: So. I feel like maybe we need to ask you back for like a whole episode on teenagers. Oh, <laughs> totally. Lindsay and I spend a lot of time being like, what is that even like? We have no idea.
2: So it's like having yourself as a teen, but depending on how you raise your children, it's like the super sarcastic part of yourself. Oh, you know how your parents would be like, one day your kids are going to be just like you. Right. You're like, no, they are not. Yep. That's true. (laughs) Wow. Why didn't someone tell you about. Yo, why didn't someone tell me about racism? How about that? Oh, my gosh. I grew up super colorblind. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When you look into your children's eyes, you see. When I look into my children's eyes, I see the future. I see them growing up being abolitionists and activists for change. That's awesome.
1: Do you identify as a feminist? Why or why not?
2: And if you had asked me this question, like five years ago, I'd have been like, yes, down with the patriarchy. Um, but at this point in my life, I do not identify as a feminist because the feminist movement has not always been intersectional, and has been highly dangerous and energetically and emotionally abusive towards black women. So I identify as a womanist. Alice Walker kind of created this definition of a black feminist or a feminist of color, a woman who loves other women and is, is committed to the survival and the wholeness of an entire people, both male and fem- female. So for me, womanism is em- embracing my matriarchy, embracing my black womanhood, but then having love and fighting for the justice of men and women, um, where in my experience of feminism, it's been very rooted in quote unquote matriarchy but it really is led in like with this patriarchal energetic charge right whereas well since men don't see us as equal down with the patriarchy and for me womanism is the embodiment of the whole feminine identity um and it's really identifying myself as a black womanist a black feminist of color and as someone who is committed to the survival of the entire people into the into the the black male and the black female and the black family so
0: thank you that's beautiful, you know, I think it's interesting as as we continue with this podcast i mean we've we've only done four episodes. this is our fifth. Um, as we continue in this podcast and begin to unpack feminism and uh, both Lisa and I are white women and um and how uh, some of the things we've learned from mainstream white feminism that we need to unlearn and unpack. And so um, that's one of a, a recent uh, realization I had from one of your courses that we took in um, your Check Your Privilege uh, group, Co-Conspirators Lounge, about womanism and feminism. And so, um, yeah, so again, another reason, I'm really glad to have you on this podcast and really value your perspective and for sharing that.
2: Thank you, I just, um, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just wanna add that it's also, it's, it, it is really based on the experiences of women of color, but specifically black women. Um, but yes, it's definitely a very starch difference. I actually have had co-conspirators say, "Can I be a womanist?" And I'm like, "Sorry, no." <laughs> but what, what are the What are the features of womanism that you want to embody on your own uh, feminist journey? Yeah, right.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Well, at the start of every every podcast, we talk about our feminist crush, which is basically anything that we love for um, its pro feminist vibe. Um, so, since you don't f- identify as a feminist, please share your womanist crush. But it can be anything that that you really admire from the last like week or month or or, or what have you. Um, and I'll go ahead and go first, and then we can go to you, Maisha, and then Lisa. We'll go to you next. Yeah. So my feminist crush for this for the week is a uh, organization I just discovered called Vote Mama. And what they do is they coach, fund, and endorse progressive moms of young children who are running for office. So from the very local level at school board to U.S. U.S. Senate, founded by a woman named Luba Gretchen Shirley, who was running for office in New York. And uh, I just love this because we need to normalize, that, normalize mothers in positions of power. And it's very common to see fathers of young children to run for office, but you'll never... It, but it's very rare to see that. And so I, I am really glad that there's an organization like this. So that's my feminist crush for the week. Awesome. So Maisha, that's your awesome. woman is crush?
2: Yes. Uh, my woman is crush. She never changes. I think she gets tired of hearing me say her name on podcast. But it's Dr. Crystal Marie Fleming. Um, she is an soci- American sociologist, and she is the author of the book, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. Um, I, I crushed on her so hard because the way that she breaks down race, there is a starch difference in her breaking down of critical race theory and the importance of listening to Black women. The way that she breaks down the tenets of white supremacy and gives examples, and she actually lives this. Like if you go to her on Twitter, like you read her tweets and you're like, yeah, she, she doesn't change, right? There's like no flip-flopping, no black and back and forth, and she is true to who she is as a black woman, and she is my woman crush this week. Um, she's been recently interviewed on her book, especially in lieu of what's happened with George Floyd. Um, but she is my woman is I talk about her all the time. I talk about her book all the time because I really want folks to start normalizing black sociology, black sociologists in America, because you get a whole different perspective of race and culture when you get it from the lens of blackness and black womanhood.
0: Wow. I just want to say that I, I read that book and I I love that book too. And I'm always surprised how it's not on one of the top lists. You know, I feel like a lot of these lists, it's like, um, it's the White Fragility. It's um, Ibram Kendi's book and um, um, How to Talk About Race by Idioma Olua, which I think is also great. But I really like, because it, it taught me a ton about critical race theory. Um oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a wonderful book.
2: I remember I had the realization that Dr. Fleming and Robin D'Angelo had the same publisher, and I actually have a tweet that's in my DMs where I actually emailed their, I tweeted their publishing company, and I asked them why are you putting so much money in marketing Robin D'Angelo's book? I asked them that, and of course they're not going to respond. Um, why is that? All right, hey. That's what, Right. <laughs> well, you
0: know yeah. what? I think that's an action for all our podcast listeners. Okay, everybody, <laughs> we yeah. will put a link in our podcast notes to email the publisher of. Um, we'll we'll put their their name and email them and say, "Why are you putting so much
2: attention and voice publicity
0: behind White Fragility?" Which is by wh- because it's by a white woman, right? Right.
2: It's by and a white woman, and there's so much. No one talks about like. The problem with white fragility that book is problematic we're not going to talk about that on that podcast episode and i might make some folks mad um right. we, no one wants to talk about the problem with that book we just want to keep reinforcing whiteness and race from the lens of whiteness
1: thank yeah. you yeah thank you so awesome. much you're welcome um so yeah. feminist crash it's um a show called kipo in the age of the wonder beasts it's a cartoon on netflix um oh, Okay. Our whole family loves this show. Like, my husband raves about this show. I love, I, I, I never miss an episode. We watch one episode every night. And it's about a girl in a post-apocalyptic world. She gets separated from her father and the rest of her community that lives underground. And above ground are these wonder beasts who are, like, evolved creatures. Um, They call them mutes. But um, she finds herself on the surface, and she's surrounded by all these fantastical creatures. And... Some are friendly, some are freshers. Anyway, it's really, really cool. But then, on top of all that, it just being like an awesome, engaging show, it represents a lot of different, overlapping identities. It has really wonderfully diverse queer representation. Um, the main character is a mixed race girl. Um, yeah. And all of the three kids in the show are people of color being voiced by people of color. One is gender nonconforming, which is awesome. One comes out as gay in the middle of the first season. And so it's been a really great opportunity for different conversation, especially because my middle child is incredibly defensive of traditional gender roles because he has experienced harm himself around gender roles. And so I just was really grateful that the show could like gently push up against that, and yeah, it's just a really exciting, engaging, beautifully animated adventure show, and uh, I really recommend it.
2: Awesome! Yeah, as you were, named, were naming the show, my son looked and he whispered, "I've watched that."
1: <laughs> cool! Yeah, that's it's, awesome.
2: It, Clearly, it's a really I like good show. On a Zoom call because I don't remember that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah. Uh, See what you think. I love watching it with with my kids. Um, So a little bit of context to our episode. This episode is about messing up in a conversation about race. Today we're going to talk about how we messed up. We went into this podcast with a commitment to bring up racism and white supremacy and how it intersected with feminism and parenting. And naturally in that work, as white people, we are going to mess up when we do that. And so we did. And we asked Maisha to come and help talk us through what happened and how we can repair the harm and how we can do better. The one thing I want to mention is that this episode might feel very white centered because it is about two white women who made a mistake. Uh, and so it might not be useful for our listeners of color. And we wanted to give you a heads up so that you can bow out if it's going to be triggering for you or doesn't feel like it's relevant. I, we weren't sure. It's just something we were worried about happening. So we did want to mention it. I don't know what you think of that, Myesha
2: yeah i think that's great i think for those listeners of color who are listening this might you might not be you might not want to stick around you know so we recorded and released episode
1: four um called which was about play in may and about a day later one of lindsay's friends told her that there was a part of the episode that was hurtful and we immediately took it down because we didn't want to cause further harm but we also didn't want to sweep that mistake under the rug and hide it. And so we saved the clip and we got in touch with Maisha and we asked to interview her and to talk about this. And so we just like to play the clip and then um yeah, ask Maisha for some advice and some feedback. The other thing that I try to be really intentional about is making sure like because um Like in order to have, and this is a different conversation about raising kids who are, you know, anti-racist. I have been really intentional, not just about being like, oh, we're going to have a diverse sampling. Like when my kids were young, the only dolls we had were dolls with brown skin. I was like, there will be a point in time where outside of my control, all they're going to see is white, 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 white. So Mm -hmm. fine for a while, all they're going to see is brown, 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 brown. And um. Yeah, and I love that. I loved seeing my son, like, hug a brown doll and love his brown doll more than anything in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we did something similar. Um, but, like, the first dolls I gave her, and then when I gave her, I gave her used stuff. I gave her stuff that was mine, which most of which were were white-skinned dolls. Except I did have, um, when I was younger, I had the first uh, African-American, American girl doll, Addie. Mm-hmm. And so for Christmas one year, we gave her Addie because she was also really obsessed with uh, beads and having beads and and hair. So we gave her Addie and she loved Addie and we put beads in her hair and she loved that. But then more recently, she has wanted a doll that looks like her. So, and I understand that as well. Um, But I just
1: think in those early years when they like can't do that, I think being really intentional and like, I'm... You know, there there is a really sad test about that that people have repeated over many many yeah. many studies, where they've given um, children white dolls and brown dolls, and and children of both races will yeah. ascribe really negative qualities yeah. to the the brown doll. And different people argue about the implications of this and like internalized racism. But one of the articles I was reading was saying like the antidote to um, this kind of negativity is not just like the absence of racism, but it's a real positivity. Right. Yeah. And so my kids think that, and and I am like, they think I love, love brown skin. And if they see brown skin, like if they find a black Santa, they are so excited and they like <laughs> want to tell me all about it. Cause we're just like on the hunt for the black Santas. We want to see them. We want to celebrate them. Um, and it's such a small insignificant thing. Yeah. in like, This racist world so i i like but i yeah i think yeah no
0: yeah i agree thing. i think it is really important to and and yeah we we do the same trying to buy a mix of of racial representation in our dolls too
2: what's fascinating is that it we started with why we're why you you know when your children are young and you give them brown dolls and then it went into um Lindsay's talking about well you you started your children with white dolls and you did give her a brown doll but as she's gotten older she's wanted more dolls that look like her and then we shared a study (laughs) um and you know you guys are talking about the study and the implications and instead of i'm just curious like was there any feelings of tokenization like as you guys were having that conversation in that time did you see your comments as being tokenizing of black skin at all
0: um at the time no (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah, i think at the time i think at other times in discussing the same topics i've been more aware of it yeah but for some reason in the context of this podcast it didn't come up it's hard to even recall because now when i hear those words i feel so much embarrassment Mm -hmm. that i'm like how could i not have realized it was tokenizing
2: right or or you know because there's one thing where you guys are talking about it because you're normalizing right you wanna normalize like your children seeing brown skin and not having an aversion towards it like some children can. But just mm-hmm. wondering if, if the way in which we're talking about it and highlighting it is, is tokenizing or in that instance, you didn't see it as tokenizing. And in this moment, just hearing the word tokenizing and the way in which you were talking about it, what, what comes up for you guys?
0: I mean, I guess for me, it's like partly like what, I don't know, like what was the point of like, or or is it, I'm not sure if tokenizing as much as I feel like performing in a way or like yeah. as if this is going to um, look, we're such great anti-racist parents. I gave my daughter Thank one you. doll and put beads in her hair. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> for me, it did feel like when I hear it and I, it does feel tokenizing. The part that feels tokenizing is because I, I I think I sound really cavalier about the sad, disturbing like statistics and the, I think I feel really, I sound really like I'm like, you know, cause every race prefers these other dolls and because my yeah. kid is only gonna see, um, only is gonna be surrounded by so much whiteness. Like I, I say those really, really painful truths with a lot of like pretty easily because, of course, those don't like dramatically impact my life. I'm not the one who's being oppressed and hurt by those truths, so I can rattle them all. So that's the thing that really stands out to me. I I, I do understand what you're saying, Lindsay, about the line between performing and bringing, being someone who is br- bringing awareness, particularly knowing that we do have a lot of white listeners who's
2: yeah. constantly
1: like, For me, feminism is so related to Mm anti-oppression that I should not speak about it ever without speaking about other groups who are uh, being oppressed within these same things. So if we're talking about play, like yes, I need to think about women, but I also need to think about black indigenous people of color. I also need to think about disabled people. And so like, I get how it could be read as performative, but I, I am, I, in some ways, I'm willing to take that risk because
2: I feel like silence is um, harmful. Yeah, I agree. Like, and, and what people don't realize is that tokenism and performative p- performance is actually hand in hand. They're like brother and sister. So when you, know, when you know you're performing, tokenism is actually kind of showing up. And so many people who might listen don't really know what we mean when we say token. But when you tokenize a person, it's really kind of, you don't ascribe them to the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Not labels, but the assumptions of someone within that race, right? The stereotype. So the token is someone who doesn't have all the stereotypes. Take a doll, for example, and you look at the features of a doll. It's clear black skin, right? Pretty porcelain face or or pretty eyes and, and, that's really not what black women or black children look like all the time. Like, yeah, my kids have like, you know, it really reinforces what these companies want us to think of beauty, right? And so when we think about tokenizing and tokenization, it's really creating an experience where it's not threatening for folks from the dominant culture. And so in some ways, the comments that were made were performative um, so to to kind of assume like well I'm a good white person because I'm ha- my kids have black dolls, but then it was also it can also be tokenizing especially when you think of why dolls are created if we want to talk about gender roles and gender stereotypes, and race and the aversion to the black dolls based on skin color. So, so let me
1: ask you was it because there's a few issues I hear one is the way we spoke about black dolls, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
1: one is speaking about black dolls at all. And the other is even giving our kids black dolls. And yeah. I'm wondering how you separate those out. Because the one, the way we spoke about black dolls, I get that. That, yeah. that one, the minute that was pointed out to me, I was like, oh no. Yeah. But, but uh, choosing to speak out about it is kind of to that issue of perform- performing. And then also like even choosing to give yourself your kids with the black and brown dolls
2: absolutely i think it's perfectly fine to give your kids black dolls um but i also know that when you're sharing about like my children have black dolls you want to keep it rooted in what the what what is the important reason why not because i think my kids need to see this because i think it's going to be beneficial for them in the future like you know the centering of whiteness that can come into that um it it can be simply like when you're talking about why your kids have black dolls my kids have black dolls because i'm i'm normalizing black skin period and if someone wants to go deeper and what does that mean then that's when you can share your own journey of becoming anti-racist right well you know i've learned in my anti-racism work that black skin is inherently not accepted it's actually called anti-blackness and if you go if you want to learn more about anti blackness, you can go follow x, y and z educator who talks about anti blackness. And you can also you can learn why I'm choosing to have black dolls for my children. Does that make sense. So you can yeah. have black dolls, you can give your kids black dolls. But when you're talking about it, you want it to be rooted in my journey. And this is who I learned this information from and you should go learn from them as well because it can become performative and centering and tokenizing. It's the way in which you talked about it, which was not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you are gonna talk about it and you are talking to someone who happens to be white about it, you wanna make sure you're not centering yourself, but you also wanna make sure that you're speaking truth around like, you know, we're combating systems of domination and how you come to know that information and who they should go learn it from. Is Is that helpful?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, very helpful. It reminds me of my friend who who pointed out that this was problematic. One of the things she said was that we we made it seem like by giving our kids black dolls, we're going to solve racism (laughs) because that was the only thing. Because we just said, okay, yeah, yeah. So, and I feel like that's, so yes, what you're saying resonates very much with that without putting it in a couching it within this, like you just said, the journey that that we're going through and, and the systems of rooted in domination. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's white saviorism. That's what it was. Yes. It sounds mm-hmm. like, well, I'm saving other races because I'm giving my kids black dolls and I'm normalizing it. Yeah, right. No, the black doll is not what saves it. it is dismantling your relationships with the systems and teaching other people through your lived experience through educators. Right. Of how you can continue dis- to dismantle and disrupt systems of domination
1: thank yeah. you yeah thank you so you're much
2: you're welcome
1: so what did you think about the the um discussion about the black santa
2: yeah i, I thought <laughs> i was like wow is this are you serious like i get that you want to normalize you know your children and their excitement of black santa but i come from a i live in what's we considered liberal and I remember a black Santa coming to the classroom, and a majority of the white children saying Santa can't be black. So I can kind of see why, like, their excitement would be super supportive of someone in that instance where a black child is told Santa can't look like you, um, and and your child being able to reaffirm and re and reinforce that Santa can be black. Like, who, who you know, like that that's a that can be a really good thing. But just the way that it sounded and the way that you were talking about it, just like, again, the word performance. I'm like, are you really feeling like excited about that? Or are you performing to push another agenda? Does that make sense? It's a both and for me because my child was in an instance where she was told Santa couldn't be black. And so it would have been great to have a child say, well, I've seen Santa and Santa's black to me, especially a child from dominant culture to kind of say that. So my daughter felt comfortable like, you know, thinking that Santa Claus can be black, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it was just the way when you were talking about it, the way that it sounds felt a little harmful, and I wasn't sure if there was yeah. a performance piece to it, or if it really was like in support of like, again, disrupting the narrative that whiteness is the norm.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I hear that 100%. I hear it when I listen back. I don't know how to talk about the steps I take
2: Mm -hmm.
1: with yeah and maybe the answer is to not talk about what steps I take but to talk about what black experts have taught me that's that's something I feel like I've learned from you just in this conversation
2: yeah Um, I think it's talking about and centering your experience from what you've learned from black and brown educators yeah like what has black experts taught you
0: So, Lisa, to be completely honest, I do think there is an element of, like, fetishizing there. So I'm just wondering, like, how can white people be pro-black without being fetishizing?
2: Yes. And that's a tricky (laughs) line, right? Like, you can be pro-black without assimilating to our culture. I will say that. So you can be pro-black. You can have your Black Lives Matter signs you can encourage your school districts to have black leadership you can and these are examples of being pro-black right using your whiteness to make sure that blackness is at the center of work is at the forefront of social and social change and and especially around issues of justice so being pro-black doesn't mean you have to make the announcement right you don't have to tell the whole world i'm pro-black look at me because that's white centering and it can go into white saviorism but I think you can be pro-Black and be white because you, you, you buy Black. When you support black, black artists, Black artisans, Black music, you're investing in the Black community that is pro-Black. So it's I, my question is, how do you define pro-Black? Is pro-Black you announcing every day that your best friend is Black and you only buy Black music? No, that's performative and that's kind of, you don't need to do that to be pro-Black. Pro-Black is, where are you spending your dollars? Pro-Black is, How are you making sure that Black and Brown educators are in classrooms? Pro-Black is how are you using, how are you using your relationship with whiteness to enforce and support Black leaders in the movement for Black lives, right? I think where it gets tricky is when you start to say, I'm pro-Black, but then naming and showing up and showcasing all the ways that you are pro-Black. Like, yeah. that's something that you're not going to do at the dinner table. Like, don't go to Thanksgiving and be like, I'm pro-black and you guys are all racist. Here yeah. are all the ways that I'm pro-black. No.
1: Myesha, you asked me to share this in the Check Your Privilege group. Yeah. And we, you know, some people responded. And the, I think the piece of feedback that resonated the most with me that I need to really grow at is some, it, something along the lines of like, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. So I can be talking to my kids, but if I'm not putting myself in if I'm not actually like in our daily lives living out decentering whiteness, then it's just talk. And I think that's when it becomes tokenizing.
2: Yeah. That makes absolute sense. Um, that's really
1: that this has been really helpful. Thank you so much
2: like this is also like, I just want to say, it can be a very hard conversation. So the fact that you guys are failing forward also is part of this conversation of normalization because you could have easily dirty deleted the podcast and just kept going. But the fact that you are addressing the harm and attempting repair to move forward and fail forward on your journey is the process of continuing to become actively anti-racist. And I just wanted to name that because some folks would have just deleted it and disappeared and gave up on their whole journey. And y'all reached out for support and are really figuring out how to repair this.
1: So can we? Can you talk a little bit about your theory about ghosting and aversion? Cause I know that you, that's one reason we actually cho- chose to reach out to you in particular is cause we were like, we want to ghost, we want to ghost. And they were yeah. like, no, 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 we need Maisha. She's talked about this,
2: so yeah. yeah. I'm usually between, I actually have the weeks down, between weeks four and week eight of the anti-racism journey, um, you've gone into listening, learning and taking action, but something will happen and then you'll fail. Whether it's leaning on your black friends too much, whether it's kind of like this podcast episode and usually typically what happens when you fail, that sense of fragility shows up and so fragility leads to shame and shame, the feelings of shame leads to ghosting the process. And ghosting comes from the dating terminology, right? When you meet someone new, you've been together for a while, and they just disappear and don't come back. And you're just like, well, what did I do wrong? That's what happens on this anti-racism journey is that folks get so uncomfortable because they feel a sense of shame in their journey for making one simple mistake that they give up before they even get started. And so any reminders of that is like an aversion. It's like a bad taste in their mouth. It's like, I'm not going back to that. I've messed up. And that's how the shame spiral works. Right. It puts you in this mindset of, well, I got this wrong. I'm such a bad person. I can't believe I did that. I'll just ignore it and your relationship with your right to comfort as a white or white passing person means that you'll go back to what's comfortable rather than failing forward and pushing through to repair harm costs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And one of the things actually I appreciate so much about um, check your privilege, which you lead is that there is this like acknowledgement of the shame you know
2: you you have to look at the shame because if you don't look at the shame you won't move forward you have to actually you know call a thing a thing call yourself out call yourself in look at the ways in which you've made mistakes and move into recommitting and repairing harm caused because this is a journey like it's always you're always going to fail like we're all unlearning hundreds of years of dominant systems and oppression. So we should expect, depending on our age, that we're not going to unlearn like 40 years of inherited um, racism.
0: Yeah. When I remember I listened to you talking about ghosting and aversion, I think it was on a podcast episode of Speaking About Race. And yeah. um, it it really, and my friend who called us in on this, found you and suggested I can listen. And it really resonated with me because definitely because I, we, I was feeling that, but also because we, and we went into this knowing we would mess up, mm-hmm. but it still when we did, and it, it wasn't so simple as like, oh, I just give up. Like, it, it was like, I'm so overwhelmed. There's so much going on. I just can't do this anymore. Um, but that was still part of the, pr- so it was almost like it was hard. If you, if I hadn't seen you spell it out like that, I may not have recognized it. And so I I, I really appreciate and and value that way because giving it that like label and and or that language Mm -hmm. because both of us were like i don't know if we can keep doing this
1: well we hid behind we hid behind being like we're out of our leagues we shouldn't have started this
2: yeah that that's what shame does though shame wants you to be like yeah well i nope i'm good i it's i feel so bad why did i even do this shame shame speaks to our trauma stories yeah if, shame wow. speaks to our, if we really talk about shame, it also speaks to our inner wounds, our child wounds.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. That's really so. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: So um, I was I, I was wondering um, if you could talk about <laughs> after you've worked through the temptation to ghost then what are the steps someone should take when they realize that they've they've said something harmful like we
2: you realize you make a mistake well the first step you don't do is you don't disappear you don't ghost (laughs) (laughs) yes ma'am um and the second thing you need to do is you need to repair repair the harm that was caused and so um there's actually steps to a full apology right and so i'm going to go through those really quickly um there's about seven and some people say there's there's actually eight steps to apologize and ask for forgiveness gracefully um and it shows like you're remorseful it it actually helps you acknowledge the hurt you may have caused and so you express remote right and so it starts with the magic words of you know i apologized um and you want your words to be sincere and, and authentic then you admit responsibility right so i apologize for example i apologize for recording this podcast and, and really making you feel uncomfortable. Lastly, uh, not lastly, the next step is to make amends. You know, you want to ask like, you know, is there anything that I can do to make this up? Or is there anything that you think I need to do to repair the harm caused? Um, You rebuild trust, right? And you build trust by kind of naming the ways that you'll work towards it not happening again. Um, And and you don't offer excuses, right? Like sometimes we apologize for people. It's like the excuse of like, well, I'm new on my anti-racism journey, so I apologize. No, that's actually not, that's actually a bad thing because you can't use where you are on your journey to expect someone to like really believe that you're giving a sincere apology. So, you know, apologize, express remorse, admit responsibility, make amends, and then offer that repair to move forward. Now, remember that like when you're repairing forward, like people don't actually have to move with you in your apology, right? Because the apology and even forgiveness is really for yourself so that you can free yourself to move forward. Um, And so if I could say anything, I would say definitely repair what's harmful, give a sincere apology without expectation that you're going to make amends and be the best of friends or have the best listeners again right away um, and go from there
1: thank you that's really helpful yeah,
0: yeah. thank you so much Maisha, for recording this with us and for advising us um this has been incredibly valuable um at the end of every podcast we ask each other and our guest, um how are you going to take care of yourself but instead of saying yourself we say your name because sometimes um i think often for women it's easier for us to take care of other people than us to take care for, of ourselves. So I'm going to ask you, Maisha. Um, what 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 are you going to do to take care of Maisha this week?
2: I am going to embody some breath work and really lean into the power of my breath. Oh. That's where I get my energy and, and my life force. So that's how I take care of myself this week. Is really my breath, admiring awesome. and acknowledging the power of breath. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah,
0: Oh, <laughs> Lisa, how are you going to take care of Lisa this week?
1: Um, I I recently read um someone uh, the wellness therapist talking about how everything that we do these days is is capital, you know, even our rest. Like people are trying to capitalize on our rest. They're trying to make money off what we watch and what we pay attention to. And and it just occurred to me that th- that that was weighing on me. And so I'm just going to do something that like has no capital. I'm going to do something with no value, temporary, impermanent. That is just like beautiful for me. Maybe a little art project that's that, that disappears, or um, but just kind of take myself out of that space because I feel I feel it weighing heavily. Awesome. What are you going to do to take care of my friend Lindsay this week?
0: Well, I've been listening to this. I started listening to this podcast called Octavia's Parables by Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi. And it's about um, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, which I read last year. And, um, and other work by Adrian Marie Brown has been really uh, life-changing for me. So, and I love this podcast. In each episode, she asks these reflection questions, which I want to incorporate into our podcast. But one of the ones, but I was listening to them while I was like making dinner. So I didn't have time to write them down, but I'm going to go back and write down the ones. And the one in particular I'm going to reflect on is what is my relationship to change? And so I'm going to reflect on that
1: this week cool maisha where can we find your work and how can people learn more from you and
2: absolutely one of the easiest ways is to head to the website www.checkyourprivilege.co. hang out in the co-conspirators lounge download the free co-conspirators workbook um and yeah just come out come over to the website and find the best approach that works for you we created four different ways you can download a free workbook you can join the lounge. You can take a course, um, or you can go deeper and join our five-month coaching program.
0: And, and we have- highly recommend it because we've been joining, and and there's so I love that there's so many different ways to engage because it makes it so accessible for people mm-hmm. wherever they are in their journey or their their time and and whatnot. So yes, absolutely. Let's go check out Maisha's work, Maisha T Hall at CheckYourPrivilege.co.
1: Co. Great.
0: Well, thank you again.
1: Yeah, I'm we're I just so deeply grateful for your advice and work and guidance. Yeah, thank you,
2: your work, absolutely. You're, you're so welcome. It was my pleasure to be here.
1: Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear what you think about this topic. Our
0: website is momingwellfeminist.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at MommingWell
1: Feminist. Let's have each other's backs this week. And take care of yourself.